afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk, The Pastor is In. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Lutheran layman, you know, the person who believes but maybe have some questions. In short, just like me. There's a lot I do not understand, and not necessarily things that are soul shaking, or sometimes it is. Or it might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual, informal, front porch style talk of the pastors, the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. Now, you can send your questions by email at any time to let's talk at kfuo.org or call in during the program at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area or Metro East or anywhere else in North America. Pastor O'Donnell, welcome up to the front porch. Hey there. How are you? Hey, I'm fine, but you know, I understand you've had a... Uh, Quite an experience. In fact, uh, I might even say it's possibly a life-changing experience. Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, I had uh, I had knee surgery in February, and then I was doing really great. And, uh, and then on Ash Wednesday, I had a lot of trouble breathing and had to go to the emergency room. And then I had found out I had blood clots all over the place in my lungs. So uh, yeah, we had a we had a real a real scare and a life changer for us. It is. Um, when you realize that you have a condition that you might not pull out of, <laughs> yeah. it, so, it yeah. gives you pause for thought. It, it, yeah, being in ICU, um, when, I, when I was expecting to get ready to really start moving again after a little arthroscopic surgery, that was a surprise. Did you push yourself too hard? No. Interesting. No. I was, I was, a, I was a very good boy. <laughs> I did everything they told me to do. Oh, what did you learn from the experience? Oh man, um, well, lots of things. Uh, well, I mean, forgive me for the for the pause. It's just it's so it's so much. I mean, you know, the my daughter who was in play practice that day, mm -hmm. uh, my fifteen year old. And she got out of play practice and found out that her father was in intensive care. Oh boy! You know, and burst in, and burst into tears. And you know, it wasn't me going into intensive care that really got me. The blood, it was uh, hearing about her crying, you know, and then calling her friends crying. And that's what really kind of shook me. Is wow, Lance, you could have, you know, that little girl could have been left without a dad. Um, and so that, you know, it just began as I'm sitting there in intensive care, some really serious reflection on, you know, how I take care of my temple, the, you know, my body and um, my marriage, my conduct of my pastoral work, you know, um, it, it changes a lot of things. It does indeed. Uh, as you know, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it really does change your outlook, and it does change the way that you look at things. And I mentioned, you know, I've had two heart attacks. Now, the it, first... the first, you were, you were how old the first? The 46. First one? I was 46. Good gravy. And, well, that was actually my attitude. I was suddenly getting these chest pains, and I was saying to myself, hey, it can't be my heart. I'm only 46. <laughs> right. And so, like an idiot, I ignored it. Sure. 
And uh, I didn't find out until my second heart attack just what had happened. Uh, when they went in, they found out one of my arteries was completely blocked off from the prior heart attack, and between 10 and 20% of my heart was dead. How about that? How much later was the second one than the first? Uh, nine years. Holy mackerel. <laughs> nine years. Wow. And, I was, yeah, I was 55 when the second one hit me. And uh, I was... To an extent, I was in denial on that, but I, I, I knew this time something was seriously wrong. Yeah. And I only ignored it for 24 hours before going to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, well, good. You know, I had, I think, I, forgive me if I, you know, when we corresponded by email, what I, what I told you, but, you know, for the listeners out there, I so I was, um, I have a middle to larger size parish, and we have two Ash Wednesday services. And I was scheduled, uh, my, our associate was scheduled to lead the, the Ash Wednesday services, and I was just going to help. Um, I was going to be the liturgist. And I took, um, I, I taught confirmation classes in the morning, and I was grading some tests. And then um, I got a call from the nurse, because I had sent them a message the day before. It said, I'm a little short of breath. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think I might have bronchitis. Can you look at my lungs when I come in to the, my appointment tomorrow? I was scheduled for an appointment on Thursday. And the nurse called and said, uh, well, if you're short of breath, given the fact that you just had knee surgery, you might have blood clots. You basically need just to go to the emergency room. And I thought, you're kidding me. You know, kind of like when you were 46, right? I, I thought, really? I'm thinking to myself, and... I said, I have some things to get done. I can't go into the hospital right now. <laughs> and so, you know, I did a couple things. And then, you know, the, our, uh, our health plan, uh, Concordia, our Concordia health plan offered a promotion where they would basically pay for your, your new Apple Watch if you did some physically helpful things, right? So I have this new Series 4 Apple Watch that does an electrocardiogram. And so right before the, the 12.15 Ash Wednesday service, I took it. And it showed I was sitting there, my heart rate at 110 beats a minute and irregular. Oops. And I thought to myself, you know, I really should go to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, uh, and then, right, and then, I, you know, and my dad, my dad had had a quadruple bypass when he was 48. And I'm 49. Um, and I said to myself, well, right, if I'm going to have heart surgery today, I want to have the Lord's Supper before I have heart surgery. So I went and did the service, and then I went to ER. Uh, as it turned out, I should have gone to ER exactly when the nurse told me. Yeah. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so I was a real bozo. Oh, boy. That is so familiar. I mean, I was, you know, it was before I had the second one. I've been having chest pains intermittently for a couple of months mm -hmm. and uh i was again i'm just trying to shake it off and because you know the pain would hit and then it would go away rarely lasted more than 30 minutes sometimes it just disappear after a couple of minutes uh and i was very short of breath i remember i was working in a uh, building a newspaper out in palm springs and I, I had to go between the first and second floor quite frequently sure and i couldn't make the stairs yep and I'm saying, well, gee, I'm just getting old and fat. No, I was getting heart failure. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of people even said I looked bad. I said, oh, no, no, I'm okay. I'm just overweight and fat and old. Yeah. 
And that's been my typical line. I'm just a chubby little Irishman, chubby little <laughs> guy, right? Um, oh man! So right. So you didn't. I'm curious. So being on the porch here, right? Mm-hmm. You and I as friends. What? Um, you had your second. You said you were 55 when you had the second one that you actually knew was a heart attack. Yes. Right? Yes. And so, what did you? How did things change for you after that? Biggest thing with me was perspective. Okay. Fill me in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I was dealing with deadlines every day. I was having problems at home. There were bills to pay, and there was all this nonsense. And, you know, that's really what it was. You know, I was in intensive care, as you were. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I realized that, you know, the only real questions is whether I was going to live or die. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a darn thing I could do about it. Mm-hmm. And I examined that a little bit further. And I said, you know, there's, there's one or two possible outcomes here. I'm either going to survive, and I'll go back to my family and friends, or I'm not going to survive. And as a believer, mm-hmm. I know I will wind up in heaven. I would not have liked to have faced that decision if I wasn't a believer. Mm-hmm. Because the the lesson that came to me on that was no matter what happened, I was going to win. Yeah. And it also made me really step back and re-examine where my life's priorities were. Sure. And I'm still doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, right? I, it's... Yeah, I I, to- I totally get it. It's um, it was you know on a on a variety of different levels. This was a, a, I'll call it a, a vocational wake up call. Okay. Um, the you know just I have the my fifteen year old is just this wonderful joyful little thing, mm-hmm. and. You know, the when I heard that she just broke into tears, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Lance, you know, there's I realized like you did, there's only so much that I can control, uh, but that there were some things that I could control that I wasn't doing what I should, you know, in terms of taking care of myself. Yeah. You know, I, I had, you know, my dad had had a quadruple bypass at 48, you know, and he smoked from the time he was like seven years old. Wow. And, you know, and he had, he and my mom, you know, had invested their life savings in a small business and that business was failing and he discovered that one of his friends betrayed him, you know, while he was recovering from the surgery and, you know, it wasn't too long after surgery he started smoking again. Mm. You know, when the doc told him, you start again, you're just, you're going to die. He started smoking again and then, you know, he'd, go get a big block of cheese from Sam's Club and come home from work and stress out and have a couple beers and a bunch of cheese and smoke, right? And so two years later, he was driving home from a Christmas party and he had a heart attack at the wheel and hit a tree and died. Oh, boy. You know, 50 years old. And I had always thought to myself, you know, I don't have the smoking issue. I don't, you know, I don't smoke. I don't... um, you know, I'd like to have a beer here and there, but I'm not a, you know, um, but I, I do stress eat. I mean, I'm not overly obese, but I'm not, you know, I do stress eat. 
and you know, I just thought about after Dad died. I'm thinking, you know, I'm in, I'm in the back of my mind is this, you know, taking care of your temple and thinking about how I felt after Dad died. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad. You know, I was I was mad, honestly, a little bit. I understand. You know, that. you there's some things you could have done. You know, I could have really used you. You know, you would have been a great grandfather. And so I found, you know, thinking to myself, I, I just, I don't want to put my kids in the same position. You know, um, I don't want, you know, I'm thinking of the passage in, in Ephesians 6, right, where Paul says, uh, you know, fathers do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Hmm. You know, I wanted to be able to face my kids and say, you know, I did what, you know, even if I face whatever I face health-wise in the future, I want to be able to tell them, you know, I tried, I did what I could, right? I, I didn't just, I didn't give up. I tried to do better. Well, I did too, you know, for the first part of it. Um, you know, and I had, I, I had a lot of anger in one area. Uh, during the recovery, uh, I was uh, talking to my, uh, my uh, cardiologist. And he said, well, you know, you're going to have to lose weight and change your diets, and you're going to have to quit smoking. And I said, you know... I don't smoke. I haven't smoked for 30 years. And he looks at me and says, well, you know, I can smell it on you. I know you're smoking. And that's when I said, well, my wife's a smoker. Oh. Does she smoke in the house? She smokes in the house. She smokes in the car. She even smokes in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And he said, well, doesn't she know that when she smokes, you smoke? Yeah. And I went home after that, and I relayed that to her, because that had been an issue. I at least wanted her to stop smoking in the car with me. Right. And I did relay that to her, and I remember, I, I used that line, doesn't she know that when she smokes, you smoke? And to this day, I remember her exact words, oh, poo. As in? As in? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And... I had a lot of trouble dealing with that. I can appreciate that. Yeah. Yep. So I had to think about that. And I, I have to admit, after a couple of three years, you know, I lost the weight and what have you, cut back on my drinking. and But then I, I started a backslide. Yeah. And uh, then I saw a picture of myself. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and suddenly realized that the, I was hitting 300 pounds. Yep. And so I went on, I made up my own diet, and I lost, in the less than a year, I lost about 80 pounds. Good for you. Unfortunately, I put a few of them back, but now I've, I'm, I'm doing it again. I've lost another 10. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm down a little bit. That has been the, man, you know, I it's, and again, this is ringing, you know, both, any parent wants their children to do better than they did. Yeah. You know, any decent, any decent parent, right? And, I, you know, I know, right, I have this, uh, you know, I have been, I talk with my mom every day. You know, she's 76 and living in, living in Florida, and we talk, we talk all the time. And I, I know my mom wants me to do better in every level. You know, mm-hmm. She wants me to, better, to be a better husband. She wants me to take better care of, her, of my body than she did. You know, all that stuff. My dad would be exactly the same way. Um, and in many respects, in many respects I have, but one of the, you know, sitting there in ICU, you know, I knew there were a couple things that I couldn't look at my kids and say, 
I'm doing I'm doing what I need to do. And so, you know, that's um, you know that's part of the that's part of the change we're in the midst of right now. You know, in terms of taking care of my body. But you gotta you have to do that. Uh, I I was fortunate, I guess, quote unquote, in that I neither my wife nor I had children. Sure. So uh, that wasn't an issue with us. Although I was very much aware that uh, if anything happened to me, my wife would be in very serious troubles. Right. Um, so I did what I could as far as that was concerned, and she did have some family and friends. We spoke about, you know, if if I didn't make it, what would happen? Sure. Um, but, yeah, that, that was something that weighed on me. But And, again, it was that helplessness. But... I somehow knew that this would work out. Yeah. I, I don't quite know how to explain that. Maybe, you know, if you're not a believer, you won't understand it. Yep. Somehow I knew it was going to work out. Even if I died, I knew it was going to work out. Well, and, you know, I had a, I have, I have, we, have, my wife and I have four children. We have a, a 20 year old daughter, an 18 year old son, a 15 year old daughter, and an 11 year old son. And, you know, the 18-year-old is a freshman in college, and so you know we're we're starting to have more adultish uh, conversations. And so after you know he was home after I uh, got out of the hospital, and he was getting ready to go back to school, and I I pulled him aside. I said, I want I need to have a little bit of a I need to have a little bit of a conversation here with you, and it's going to seem a little morbid, but I I want you to know some things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if something happens to me. Right. I want you to know, I, you know, we've got some decent life insurance. Your mom's going to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have to make some adjustments, you know, and I just view this as part of, you know, as my vocation as a father, you know, trying to, it, I think it's part of the vocation of a father is to help, help prepare the kids for things that might happen. And it seems like a, you know, may seem like a morbid conversation, but a necessary you know, one, but a necessary one. I said, you know, I, I, I I want I want you to know that you you know you guys are going to be okay. You'll have to make some life adjustments, but I said, son, you know if something did happen to me, I want you to live your life, get married, have kids, serve the Lord. Um, he wants to be he's in school to be a Lutheran school teacher. Good for him. Um, you know, a great kid. And um, and I said I want you to know, right, that I'm gonna I'm gonna do some things differently to try and take better care of myself. Um, because I want, you know, I want them to know. I don't want them to be in the same position I was after, you know, after my dad died. Uh, another thing I learned, and maybe, uh, maybe this hit you as well. Uh, I have in my life, I, there have been a handful of times when my life was in danger. Uh, everything from I, once I got trapped in a brush fire, and other. Oh time. yeah. Uh, I was in a motorcycle accident. I didn't expect to survive. I've had guns pulled on me. You know, the, a number of things have, have happened. But with the heart attack, it was suddenly my body betraying me. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I can accept that outside factors can happen. You know, I, I accept right now I might not get home alive. There might be a Mack truck out there with my name sure. on it. Uh but here, my own body was betraying me, and I had to think about that. Uh, it, it was another thing that made me really realize my own mortality. No doubt, it's interesting for me that I went into ICU on Ash Wednesday because that, you know, that very morning, 
or that you know at that service mm-hmm. uh we had our you know all our school kids in there you know and the people and i am you know and i am as i'm feeling my heart in trouble i am putting ashes on people saying dust you are and uh. to dust you will return <laughs> you must have been thinking very heavily. In, in retrospect, you know, I was just really kind of in the moment focusing on what I had to do. But in retrospect, um, this is precisely your point. Uh, you know, it, it was it was a telling moment. Yeah. It was a telling moment. It is. When you look into that abyss. Um... So when did you, you know, because you, you wandered away from from the church for a while and ended up back. Yes, I did. You know, where and where where was was that part of this process? Your heart stuff part of this at all? It was, but not as great as you might think. Sure. Uh I was not I was not going to church at that time. But I was starting to become spiritual again. I mm-hmm. hate that word spiritual. But I mean I was starting to to revert to my to my roots. You're starting uh, to think about those things. Yeah, I do. With. Yeah, and when I really went back to the church was when my my late wife became ill. Right. Um, and you know how how to deal with that. And you know it's it's funny. In a lot of ways, it was is much more difficult to deal with her with her situation. Yeah. Than it was with mine. Uh, again, it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I could never explain this to a non-believer. Yeah. I knew one way or the other it was going to work out. Sure. Now, like like you knew with your kids, you know, sitting down having that discussion with your children. Uh, I know my dad, when I was uh, an adult, uh, dad left both my brother and me uh, a letter about what your tog was what he called it the day. Yeah. Uh, about what would happen and how he wanted it handled. Um, and that was something I, I did after uh, the second heart attack, is I sat down and I started to basically write my own obituary. Yeah. And I how, went, how old were you when your dad had that conversation with you? Uh, you, I, you and your brother? Yeah. Uh, we, were both, we were both adults at the time. I'm, I'm trying to think. I was probably in my 50s. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do remember, um, <laughs> I do remember having one conversation with my dad, uh, that my mother never knew about, <laughs> sure. uh, during the war, my dad was, uh, uh, in the army in the Pacific and at the very tail end of the war, I mean, it was it, the way he described it, it was after Hiroshima, but before the Japanese surrendered, uh, he was on a, a transport plane in the Philippines and the bloody thing caught fire through a mechanical error and started to go down. And uh, Dad said he remembered just this blind anger. You know, here he had gone through four years of war, had not had a scratch. <laughs> and he was going to get killed just before the end of the war. Obviously, he didn't. But um, he never told my mother about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, Dad had his his moment then. And it's, uh, but again, you know, the thing is, there's so many things out there that you cannot control. And it has really made me aware, especially looking back on some of the stupid things I've done and some of the things that happened to me that were completely out of my control, that I'm just a blink away from the next world. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, most people don't think about that, I don't believe. Um, yeah, and it's interesting for me because, you know, that, right, because my dad died in a car wreck, you know, mm. when I was 23 and my brother was 20, my sister was 18. You know, that, the the preciousness of life and the fragility of it has been an, you know, an ever-present thing for me and my brother and sister. Oh, yeah. You know, my, my whole, really, my whole adult life has been, you know, that at this, that, it, but what just happened this, you know, three weeks ago, um, intensified that for me in a way that is hard to describe. It is, but it's something you never want to forget. It's right. one of the most important lessons you will ever learn in life. Yeah. Lance, i got to take a break here, sure. but we got a lot more to talk about. The day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for. Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson with a win-win offer for your congregation or organization. If you will commit to being a church or organization of the week during the Lenten season, uh, just commit during Lent. You can pick any week you want. You're going to receive $200 off the regular price of $850. You win because you're taking advantage of an evangelistic opportunity. Here's what you get for being a church of the week. Inclusion in every hourly 10-second station ID. 35, 32nd primetime announcements. Also, your pastor will be interviewed on one of KFUO's morning programs. It's a tremendous mission outreach. Please call me at 314-996-1520. Who knows how many people will be in heaven as a result of having heard the gospel over worldwide KFUO. I look forward to hearing from you. That's 314-996-1520. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. William Shakespeare, the playwright and poet, was born in 1564 and died at the age of 52 on April 23, 1616. He grew up in a culture familiar with the Bible. Shakespeare's Bible was likely the Geneva Bible, but he also drew from other versions used during his lifetime, like the Psalms used at Anglican church services. He frequently integrated biblical allusions into his writing. One example of a biblical phrase used by Shakespeare is based on 1 Samuel 3, 2. His eyes began to wax dim, he could not see. 
Shakespeare used the expression wax dim in his Henry VI. This is but one of over 1,200 references Shakespeare made to the Bible in his prolific writings. Engage with this book of all books, impacting the arts over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Guest pastor today is Lance O'Donnell from Akamanawak, Wisconsin. We are discussing mortality and recent events that have made us both realize how transitory our lives are. Uh, Lance, there's something I wanted to relay to you. Uh, Another thing that really drove this home. Uh, You know, I've mentioned I have remarried since my wife died. Uh, My current wife uh, has a fairly large extended family. She has has four children, and they've all got their children and things like that. And uh, we all gather at Thanksgiving. And, I mean, there's there's a bunch of them. Uh, Now, even though she was divorced, she and her her ex-husband remained on good on good terms uh especially regarding the uh, their, their children who are now all grown and uh two thanksgivings ago we were all gathered and uh, having our discussions and having our dinner and i was having a, a very fun discussion with the with the uh with her ex um on theology <laughs> sure and it was all over, you know, after it was over, he got, and he, he was he was living in Fulton, Missouri, which is about 110 miles from here. And uh, right after the dinner, he uh, got in his car and got ready to drive home. And one of the um, daughters-in-law happened to be going in the same direction, was following him. And about 15 minutes later, he had a brain aneurysm. Oh, man. And the car went out of control. I mean, the, the, the daughter-in-law was behind seeing all this happening. And he's, as the car just zooms in and out. And this is her dad? He, uh, father-in-law. Father-in-law, okay. And she's got the, her kids in the car. You know, that's her grandfather. And, right. And the son was behind him about a mile in his car. But, the again, the, the thing was is that he was so healthy, hearty, and hale. The guy didn't smoke. The guy didn't drink. He didn't have any weight problems. He's about my age. And this brain aneurysm ruptured. Sure. Again, we don't know. The body can betray us at any time. You do not know the day or the hour. And that's something else to think about. And, and you know, you and I both know uh, it's out there and it's going to come. Yep. So how what what does it mean to us? How do we prepare for it? What does it mean for those we leave behind? Well, the passing on of the faith is uh, is absolutely central. I mean, and, and that and that is you know, for my kids is 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 certainly different than the way I grew up. Right? I mean, we were we were really not churchgoers, so you know, I went through a just a real crisis of the soul after my dad died. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my hope would be, you know, my kids have been raised in a very different way. You know, their their lives center in Christ and his forgiveness and worship. Um, you know, I've got a I've got a kid preparing uh for the teaching ministry. Um you know, the they they grew up with prayer and you know I you know, if if something had happened to me, I know that 
um, you know, I know that they would struggle. I mean, you're right. I mean, I have an 11 year old boy, you know, um, you know, if I, if I had, you know, if I had graduated to the church triumphant, I mean, that, that little boy would not have a father. Um, and that would cause, you know, that would, there would be issues. However, um, you know, he has a, he has a mother who, who loves the Lord and practices the faith siblings, you know, they, they, they have, they have an anchor, um, and a foundation that I didn't. And, you know, that's, um, that's a great thing. I think you're correct on that. I, I, again, I don't have children, so I don't have, have that experience, but I do have, uh, I do have some relatives and, uh, my brother in particular is not a believer and it, it, it weighs on my heart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know how to approach it with him. Sure. And, or even if I, sh- I should, even if I should, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I should. I'm a Christian. I should. But it is so difficult. And why? Why is that? Oh darn! You're asking those hard questions, Sorry. Lance. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, is it because you don't because you have a relationship with him, and and you're afraid of that that will fracture it, or that's part of it. Um, that's part of it, and I know it 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 won't be received. Uh, and th- maybe that's arrogant on me, uh, but you know we've discussed it before. Sure. And he's just n- no way. He's just a, he does not believe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my dad. <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, but my dad had a. You know, we had an amazing thing happen. I think. You know, I don't remember. I, dad. You know, dad spent. You know, he was a altar boy and involved as a. But you know, he really, really, pretty much left the church as soon as he left home when he was 17. Uh-huh. And, you know, my father was the one that introduced me into the atheist uh, philosopher Ayn Rand. Okay. You know, that, that led me to abandon uh, my faith in college. And, you know, that's kind of where Dad was. He thought the Bible was a nice book of stories and fables, but, you know, um, he told me that once. And then, you know, but then, as I told you, when near um, what turned out to be the end of his life, they were they were about to lose everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, d- there was something about church music or about music that got to him. And so, you know, my mom had been begging him for years to go to church. And so he went to, he went, he agreed to go to some Christmas cantata with her. And, you know, at this Christmas cantata, the, you know, the, the gospel was sung, right? And, and my dad loved music. And so my mom said she remembered that the offering plate went around and my dad threw something in it and she didn't think anything of it. And then three days later, you know, on the way home from a Christmas party, um, he had a heart attack at the wheel and died. The next day, not knowing what had happened to my father, somebody from the church came to visit our house uh, carrying a card that my father had filled out. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost, we've lost the card, but uh, the card said something like, you know, I repent. It's time for me to come back. Oh. You know, and... What an amazing gift for my family that was. It had to have been. You know, um, that, yeah, I I tell this to, I tell this to folks all the time. You never, ever, 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 ever give up. I mean, you know, you're, 
part of your vocation as a brother is to never give up, give up on the faith of your brother. Um, that it, that it, it is part of your calling. And by, you know, through prayer and whatever, you know, whatever you can do, um, you know, and you just, you just never know, um, how the, you know, how the Lord, how the Lord, how the Lord will work. You just never know. No. All you can do is plant some seeds and be there. Sometimes uh, you'll have opportunity uh, to bear witness. You know, and for you know, for for my dad, right? Well, it was the music. You know, music always got to him. You know, church music is powerful. Can be really, really powerful. It is. It is as a witness in a way that personal witness or a sermon or something can't be. Music can music can touch people in a way that other things can't. You know, you mentioned Ayn Rand. Sure. Um, you know, I did fall away from the church, but I never stopped believing. Yeah, I did. I I cast it aside. And I had read Ayn Rand, and I, I really kind of discarded her views of religion. I, but some of her philosophical and, and political views, I, I actually admired. Mm-hmm. But I never bought her. I never bought the atheism. Well, good for you. <laughs> Yeah, I took the whole passage package and tried to put it into practice, and it ended up being almost the death of me. So, yeah, that was unfortunate. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I truly don't understand how atheists can do it. I mean, you know, I've read, for example, in the Bible, uh, the Sadducees. They weren't atheists, but they didn't believe in the afterlife. Yeah, they didn't, yeah, didn't believe in the resurrection. What a wasted existence. <laughs> You know, there is something about it, you know, as we approach this time of the year in Easter, um, we see it at funerals. We're good this, this next weekend. We are uh, our pastor emeritus here at St. Paul's, who served us for 35 years, uh, died last week. And, oh. yeah, we're going we're gonna to have his memorial service on, the, on Palm, the Palm Saturday, so the Saturday before Palm Sunday. Um, you know that that hope of the resurrection is ever is ever present. It changes, uh, it changes everything. Um, you know we're going to break with Lenten tradition and sing some hallelujahs at this pastor. You know he served us for thirty five years. Um, you know God bless him and his you know family. It was um, what a difference that what a difference that makes. And our our you know I ask people if you're sad if you think that. We just are here today and gone tomorrow. That we're just food for worms. Then why are you sad at a funeral? Because I think deep down, right, we know that somehow deep down that this is not the way it was supposed to be. Right, that the, there's we were we are supposed to live, and that death it is is an intrusion. That's a good observation. You know, we with the fall, with the original sin. You know, we live in an imperfect world, and yeah, you know, God's intent was not for us to die. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, we're, I mean, you can say, like I once did, you know, we're just here today and gone tomorrow, And but but then why are you sad? I mean, I had to ask that of myself, right? I mean, right, if all we are is here today and gone, you know, we got our time, why? And I had to ask it on the deepest level, and I, you know, one of the conclusions I came to, there's got to be, there's got to be more to this. Yeah. There's just something, right? And did you feel when you went through your period of being an atheist, uh, did you go through a period of hopelessness or emptiness? I guess. 
Well, no, I went through, well, when I was coming out of it, I did. But, you know, my, at the height of it, it was absolutely the opposite, absolutely the opposite of that. I mean, when I, when I rejected God and said, I'm going to rely on my wits and use my brain, and when I was um, using, um, you know, when I was following Ayn Rand, hook, you know, hook, line, and sinker, you know, I, um, I actually improved my academics and, you know, <laughs> you know um, but what I, what I, what, what came to be is that, you know, basically worshiping yourself uh, mm. is, is, you know, and that's what, that's what Rand, that's, you know, that's what Ayn Rand believed. I mean, she yeah. did the, basically the worship of human potential. Um, and the, the problem is, is that we're, as great a beings as we are, you know, capable of putting men on the moon with protractors and a slide rule, um, we're also capable of great evil and stupidity. And um, you know, I had to I had to realize that in myself. And in order, you know, to see the need for to see the need for Christ and forgiveness and hope and life. And so. Unfortunately for me, I, you know, I really had to hit bottom. And unfortunately uh, for my dad, it was the same. Um, but, you know, we thank, you know, we're thankful for God's grace. And regardless of when, you know, even the thief on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Today you will be with me in paradise. Um, you know, I'm, let's not grumble. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that, that saw me through a lot, even in the periods where I was not a churchgoer, uh and I went through some rough, rough times, Lance. I'm sure, sure. that you can appreciate it on yep. yourself. Uh, was the realization that my life isn't mine. It's not my own. It's interesting cause, that you say that because I had analogous thoughts, you know, because it impacted my thought, you know, my, my, the way I'm thinking about being a father in particular, but also being a husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my 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 service as a pastor um this this health thing really as i'm sitting there in the intensive care unit i'm thinking you know i'm a i am a total type a guy (laughs) Uh, you know i am take charge you know hard driving and you know i'm sitting there in intensive care thinking realizing not just thinking, but realizing uh, and chastened by the Lord in that, um, you know, I have, I have lots of talented people in my parish and realizing that I think I took some things too much into my own hands and I, I need to prayerfully trust a lot of things to the people that God has placed in positions of leadership and service here and that, you know, it, there, there, it is something that I knew before, mm-hmm. but the the prospect of you know knowing that I would you know knowing my recovery was going to be slower, right? I was just going to have arthroscopic surgery. I was going to do rehab, and I was going to be back at it. Yeah, you know, and then you know realizing I'm going to have to deal with blood clots, and I'm not going to be able to go right back at it. I'm thinking. You know, just, it, this was one of the ways in which the Lord's saying, you know, Lance, you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn ever more deeply to to actually practice what you preach here. Um, 
<laughs> you know, to an extent, that actually happened to me because I, I did have some complications from the heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked up a pericardial infection, which is nasty, trust Oof. me. And uh, that knocked me out more than the uh, heart did. Uh, it, it took me a good at least six weeks uh, to get back on my feet. And that was the worst part of it for me, really, was the utter helplessness that I had, The uh, especially the first couple of weeks. You know, when Were I, you in the hospital the whole time? No, I was not. Uh, I was at home, and I was completely dependent on, on my wife. Yep. And it was just this utter helplessness. I just, I hated it. Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I have great appreciation for that. <laughs> but again, you know, it's, <laughs> to realize it's not your life. Uh, I mentioned, you know, I look back and uh, there were some times when my life was threatened. I can't even think of a couple when I shouldn't have lived. Mm-hmm. But I did. Why? Well, there's something I, <laughs> as hackneyed as it sounds, there was something that he wanted me to do. Maybe this is it. Working for the Synod, talking yep. on the radio, maybe this is it. I don't know. Well, it certainly is, because that's where you are. Yeah, that's <laughs> where I am now. Right. Uh, and I ain't done yet. You know, there's a lot more ahead of me. So, <laughs> so yeah. at least I hope. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you say that, because I'm pre I'm you know, the, the text this weekend is from Luke 20, um, the gospel text, and it's where Jesus tells what, what's sometimes called the um, the parable of the wicked tenants. And um, the tenants represent the, the, the Israel is, you know, the religious leadership that often rejected, and people who often rejected the God's prophets. So the, you know, a landowner sent one servant, and they beat him up, and they sent another servant, and they beat him up, and he sent a third servant, and they beat him up. And then Jesus says, the landowner, you know, the vineyard owner says, I will send my beloved son. Surely they'll respect him. You know, and then and in the parable he tells it, you know, they, they think this is the heir, we'll kill him and get the inheritance. And of course, that is a, you know, that is a lesson that teaches about what's going to happen with Jesus. They're going to, the beloved son. And part of the lesson, part of the lesson is, you know, Jesus. Jesus knows going in that he's going to die. Oh yeah. And and yet, right? This is his vocation. His vocation is to be the savior of the world. He's got to go to Jerusalem. He's got to die on the cross. For the only only he can do that. Only he, as the, as God in the flesh. And, you know, and likewise, this is what I'm talking to my people this, this weekend, you know, our vocations aren't to save the world, right? Only Jesus can do that. But, you know, we all have, we are all uniquely situated by God, and there are only sometimes God places things right in front of us. And, you know, we can shy away from them, we can run away from them, but we know that this is our calling, right? We have to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, as a parent, you have to discipline your children, you know, or it could be dealing with the death of a spouse, or dealing with a health issue, or, you know, but sometimes you, sometimes there's stuff that God places in front of you, and you've just, you've got to do this. You know, there, there, it's not, it's not really an option. And, you know, Kip, I'm saying, you know, here we are, right? Mm-hmm. You got a brother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, you know, that's not a, it's not an option. 
You're right. It, it's, re, it's really it's really not. I mean, you know, and how you go about that vocation as a Christian, of being a Christian brother, you know, you got to do that with prayer, but um, it's it's really not an option for you not to say anything. Um, it's just not. And then the challenge is, okay, how do I go in here? Yeah. You know, um, what's, you know, and again, that for me is in the, you know, in the hospital sitting in ICU thinking about, you know, thinking about this wonderful parish that I serve that has, you know, we have about 1,900 members, but only mm-hmm. 400 or less coming on a weekend, you know, for worship now. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of work ahead of us. And, you know, my predisposition in some respects and my sinful nature is right to, you know, you attack that in a in all kind of me first way. But, you know, the, the truth is, is none of this happens without the Lord, you know, and and I need to rely on, you know, I can't, I can't do all this by myself. You know, it's not the, you know, the power of my preaching or this or that. It's not, you know, the, the Lord is going to have to, the Lord is going to have to do this. So, you know, I, I took last in, I, I took an hour and I went just kind of walking through the pews at last week mm-hmm. and praying you know, Lord, you know who's going to sit here. Bring the people here that need to hear your word. You know, um, no amount of my great writing in our newsletter or this or that is going to draw, you know, only you, Lord, can draw them here. You know what they need to hear. Um, and I thought about that when I was sitting in ICU. You know, I, I, I need, you know, I, I need simply, this is a reminder, this is God's church. And I need to rely on him and not on my own whatever talents might be. Um, and that's true as my role as a father. It's true as my role of a, as a husband. I suspect that when you realize that lying in uh, ICU, there was a great sense of peace that came over you. I know it did with me. Sure. It's it's weird. I mean, I've told people about this before, and they just, oh, what was it, the drugs? Yeah, well, you know, I, I was there on the ICU not knowing if I'm going to live or die, and it just an utter peacefulness. I've, I've never known it before or since. Right, and, 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 and then in thankfulness. You know, I'm thinking, because, you know, I went in to ICU on Ash Wednesday. Um, my daughter's, you know, she'd been working so hard. Her, the opening night of her musical was on Friday. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, mean, I didn't want to miss that, <laughs> right? I mean, she's worked so hard, you know, and she and her classmates. And I love, right? I mean, she's a performer. I just, I wanted to be there. You know, my son was coming back from college to see his little sister, and um, you know, when they released me on mm-hmm. Friday, you know, around noon, you know, I knew I was going to go. You know, I. <laughs> I spent my morning Friday proving to the nurses that my lungs could handle me being around so they would let me out of there. (laughs) You know, and I was right. I'm always thankful to be able to see my kids do their thing, whatever it is. But I sat there that night, you know, because I had been in ICU two days before, right? I am so thankful for the opportunity just to be here. And, you know, that it was it was a nice gift. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. It is. And you become aware of uh, smaller things, uh, sunsets, flower scents, yep. songs of birds, 
uh, the dawn. You know, just uh, <laughs> you become much more observant. At least I did. I'm sure you have as well. Uh, much more aware of the beauty around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's there. You know, things that you just didn't notice, or I just didn't notice before. Right. Well, and I, you know, and my, you know, I am such a, I am such a Type A guy. Um, you know, I laugh. My our associate pastor here, Steve Charnell, is Mister, as the kids say, chill. Type B guy, you know, quite. I, and I told him when I was when I got out, I said, "Well, I guess I'm going to have to learn how to be a Type B pastor." And uh, <laughs> and he laughed and he said, "You know, only a Type A guy would say something that stupid." Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but it's you know, well, it's not totally true, but it, you know, it, it's it's learning, you know, learning to let God do His thing. And, y- yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to. I, I never would have thought I, w- I would wind up working at a religious radio station. Uh, <laughs> you have to understand. I mean, it, yeah. when I first started broadcasting <clears throat> back in 1970, sure. uh, that was the running joke. You know, yeah, you do it this way, you're going to wind up doing religious broadcasting. Right. Okay. You know, I just... <laughs> I just didn't cross my mind that no, this would I, ever happen. Right? I, did I did I tell you my first thought when I when I had my first thought that I would be a pastor? Uh-uh. Did I tell you so? Oh. Right from the from the time I was four years old, I wanted to be president of the United States. Okay. Before I could read, right? I spent my whole childhood. I was the president of everything growing up, right? And so I went off to Washington D.C. for college mm-hmm. because you know if you're going to be president, that's where you should go to school. Definitely a type A. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I got involved in the presidential campaign that year. I was 19, and I realized, oh, good gravy! I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. I don't know what I want to do, but I really don't want to do this. I had, you know, kind of had my midlife crisis at 19. I transferred schools, <laughs> went back to Michigan uh, to my second choice school, um, and it was that right after right after the I started the second semester at a different school. I had this thought, you know, and again, I was in the process of leaving my faith, and I had this thought that came, uh, maybe you should be a pastor. And I was so ticked <laughs> at that. I'm think, you know, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me, God? I, right? I was going to be president of the United States, and I'm going to be a stupid pastor? And I said, <laughs> forget this. Right, and that's when I ran the you know that's when I ran the other direction, which is a typical pastoral Jonah story. Well, same thing with me. I mean, I, to to my mind, this is the height of my career. This is what I was meant to do. Yep. Lance, thanks so much for being on the program. I hope my that, honor. Uh, mine as well. Believe me, when we're serving God. So this is it for Let's Talk. The pastor is in Lance O'Donnell of Akamanawak, Wisconsin. <laughs> I pronounced it right. Has been my guest. God bless you. Have a great day. Amen. To chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.